without the instruments one time, okay? You're shining one of them. Let's do the chorus acapella ready. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Like the sea bell. 
you, Rick. Thank you, choir. Open your Bibles this morning, please, again, to the book of Revelation. This morning, chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Would you believe that this is the 17th sermon uh, from the book of Revelation that we're giving here? And today we're going to tackle chapter 10, and there's only 12 chapters left after today. And in case you're wondering... Uh, We plan on being finished with this series before summer gets here. Uh, We plan on being done and finished with the entire book of Revelation. And, you know, we kind of took our time to the first three chapters, looking at the the, uh, seven churches in depth. Then we came back and started the second part of the series. We picked up the pace uh, quite dramatically so we can get kind of the bird's eye, big picture view of the prophecy that's found in the book. Uh, but there's a question that I believe we need to tackle. I mean, here we are, we're almost halfway through, almost midway through the book. And there's a question that comes to mind, a question I think we need to answer. And that's this. What do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? I mean, we've toured the seven churches of Asia Minor. We've seen the exalted, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. We've been in the very throne room of heaven, worshiping along with them. Uh, We've seen that we're going to go home to be with Jesus. That's the next thing we're looking for on the prophetic timetable. We're looking at all hell is broken loose upon the earth during the tribulation uh, period. We've seen angels. We've seen demons. We've seen judgments galore. Uh, We've seen seven uh, seal judgments. Uh, We've seen six trumpet judgments. Six trumpets have sounded. We know the worst is yet to come. Uh, So the question is, how do we handle this truth? What do we do with all of this? I mean, I've seen the difference that it's making in our church. I've seen the difference in my own life. I've listened to you as I've greeted you in the lobby afterwards. Uh, And to be real honest, this book is impacting us. Uh, This book is making a difference in our lives, in our church. But I think it's a good time to pause And take a moment and really talk about, together today, talk about what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what we're doing when it comes to the book of Revelation. And I believe chapter 10 is the perfect place, the perfect spot to do just that. Because chapter 10 of Revelation, as I studied it, it shows us three ways in which we can process this truth that we're learning. Three ways to process it. And not surprisingly, beloved, these are actually quite simple. For some reason, we like to complicate things. For some reason, we like to clutter things up and make it harder than it has to be. But I want us just to keep it real simple uh, this morning as we look at how to handle all of this truth. And so rather than read the entire passage, it's only uh, 11 verses, but rather than read it all and come back, I'm just going to take it as we go one by one today and as we unpack uh, the truth. And I want to get a little more specific with you. And so we're going to be answering this question today. What do we do with the truth? truth that we're learning in Revelation. What do we do with the truth that we're learning in Revelation? And so you found your spot now, hopefully there in uh, Revelation chapter 10. And I want you before we read, I want you to remember where we are in the book. We're in between the sounding of the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. We're in an interlude. We're in a parenthesis, if you will. Six trumpets have sounded. The judgment has fallen. We're in between now the sixth and seventh trumpet. 
In fact, the seventh trumpet is not going to sound until we get to chapter 11, verse 15. And so next Sunday, we'll have youth Sunday. Then we'll revisit, God willing, the next time we'll be in chapter 11. But the, uh, the, the, the seventh trumpet does not sound until you get to chapter 11, verse 15. Now, seven seals have been opened. Six trumpets have sounded. And those who are on the earth who have survived all of this hell on earth... They, many of them have hardened their hearts. Remember at the end of last week, they've hardened their hearts and they refuse to repent. We read that. In fact, let's just back up real quick and read the end of chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. Revelation 9, 20. The Bible says, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. Chapter 10, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it. And the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. What do we do with this truth that we're learning in Revelation? Well, I think it's very simple. First of all, we receive it. We receive it. We read it. Now, John received the information that we're studying in vision form. And then he wrote it down. Notice the verse two words of chapter 10, verse one. I saw and we see him saying that a lot. I saw this and I saw that. Now, remember, John was not an angel. John was not Superman. He was not superhuman. John was a man of flesh and bone, just like we are. And can you imagine what it would be like to actually see the things that we're just reading about and we're studying about? I mean, the way they're impacting us. Can you imagine literally actually seeing these things unfold? John in the spirit is transported to that time. He's literally looking at these things taking place in the future. And he's receiving this truth from God. Now, we receive it by reading it. And by hearing it, he received it by seeing it. Now, what exactly does he see in this chapter 10 here in this particular passage? Well, first of all, he sees it says another angel. Now, angels, as you've noticed, are mentioned quite often in the book of Revelation. 
I won't go in great detail. That could be another study for another time. We'll probably have to do somewhere down the road about angels and so forth. But in this book, I'm told I haven't counted them, but I'm told there are more than 60 references to angels in the book of Revelation. And angels, as you probably already know, are ministering spirits. They're God's servants. They're God-created beings that He uses as He chooses. And here in chapter 10, it says that John saw another angel, but not just another angel, another mighty angel. And then he describes what he saw when he saw this mighty angel. He said the angel was clothed with a cloud, had a rainbow on his head. His face was shining like the sun. His feet were like pillars of fire. He must have been a massive creature, a massive angel, because he comes down and places his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the on the land. Now, imagine that. And it says his voice was loud as when a lion roars. Now, the question, of course, is who is this angel? Well, many believe it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Some men whom I highly respect, who are smarter than I ever hoped to be, they hold that position. But, beloved, as I've studied this out this past week, I have to respectfully disagree with many men that I love and cherish and appreciate. While this angel might be similar to the Lord Jesus Christ that we see back in chapter 1, I do not believe this is Jesus. And can I walk you through real quick why I don't think it's Jesus? Just uh, three or four things why I don't believe this is Jesus here. Number one, the Greek word where it says another there in chapter 10, verse one, another means another of the same kind. It means another of the same kind. So in other words, another angel. Angels are angels. They're created beings. They're servants of God. But Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God. And so I don't believe it's Jesus because it says another of the same kind, another mighty angel. Secondly, the reason I don't think this is Jesus is because in verses five and six, did you notice that the angel swore by God? I swore by the one who created the heaven and the seas and so forth. And while God could swear by himself, I don't think it would be necessary for Jesus Christ to swear upon himself or swear by God. Thirdly, I don't believe this is Jesus because it'd be very unusual, if not unlikely, to have Jesus Christ return again to the earth before his second coming. Because this is, if this is Jesus, he's already returned in the clouds and raptured us home. And as we understand the Bible, the next time he comes, he'll set foot, set up his kingdom, he'll establish his actual second coming. It'd be very unusual, I think, for Jesus to come partway through and do this. But there's a fourth reason I think this is very convincing. And that's this. If this is Jesus here, this mighty angel, why didn't John fall down before him and worship him as he did in chapter one? In fact, in chapter one, when John saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his exalted glory, chapter one, verse 17 says that John fell at his feet as dead. And we don't read here that John fell down and worshiped this creature. We don't read that John fell as dead. And so I believe what we have here is what the Bible says. We have another mighty angel. I'm convinced of that. Well, now that that's settled and we won't argue over that. If you believe it's Jesus, then that's fine. But I believe we have another angel. But now that we have this angel here, it says he cries in verse three. And when he cries out, seven thunders uttered their voices. I thought about it would be cool to play thunder for you today, but I didn't do it. 
You know, something about thunder, isn't it? Gets your attention. And when this angel cries, it says that seven thunders utter their voices. And the reason I didn't play thunder today, because it's obvious here, this is not just thunder like we hear thunder. It says they uttered their voices. That is the thunder spoke. Now imagine that seven thunders speaking. In fact, this says in verse four. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. In other words, John was about to write down what the thunder said. And John is told by another voice from heaven, do not write down what the thunder said. Seal it up and do not write them. So the question is, what did the thunder say? Do you all know what the thunder said? We don't know. I'm told there are cults. Do you believe this now? There are cults who can tell you what the thunder said. They know more than, I guess, uh, they know as much as John. But listen, we'd be foolish to listen to that. We don't know what the thunder said. What's interesting, this is the book of Revelation, the unveiling, the revealing. But here we have a concealing. We have God saying, listen, don't write that down. It's important for us to remember what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says. It's on the screen before you. Say it out loud with me, would you? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. That's a verse I've known for some time because when I went to Bible college, right out of high school at the Bible college, traveled all the way from North Carolina all the way up north to Pennsylvania. Can you imagine how, how terrible that? Anyway, uh, when I went to Bible college, I'm just kidding. One of the very first verses you're required to learn. The president of the college, our theology teacher, had us memorize that verse for us to understand. There are some things you're never going to know, some things you're never going to understand. And we're finding that here in Revelation. And we don't know what was said. We don't know what the thunders were saying. But I do believe we know who was saying it. I believe the seven thunders are the voice of God. You say, well, preacher, why do you say that? Well, put your finger there in Revelation and turn back to Psalm 29 for a moment. We're going to come right back to Revelation. But I want to show you Psalm 29. I want to talk to you a little bit about the voice of God. Psalm 29 and find verse 3. Psalm 29, verse 3. We don't know what the voice said. We don't know what the thunder said, but we believe it is. At least I believe it's the voice of God. And I'll show you why. Psalm 29, verse 3. Psalm 29, verse 3 says this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory, what? Thunders. The Lord is over many waters. Now watch what it says about the voice of God. Verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. You imagine just blowing a tree apart by his voice. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Now think about just thunder itself, just the, the feeling and the sound of thunder. But imagine the very voice of God. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Watch this, you hunters. Verse nine, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. And so I believe what we have there in Revelation, when those seven thunders are thundering, is the very voice of God speaking. 
But what he said, we don't know because he told John not to write it down. This is pure conjecture, and I've been real careful with conjecture, but I did find this very interesting. Ed Heinsohn, the Revelation scholar, said this about this. He said the fact that God chose not to reveal their content, that is the seven thunders, is an act of mercy. We already know enough about the future to be concerned. If we knew what the thunder said, we probably would be scared to death. Now, I don't know if he's right or not, but I found that interesting. For whatever reason, God says, listen, seal it up. Don't reveal it. Don't share it. But the verse says those things that are secret belong to God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children. So let's look at what is revealed in verses 5 through 7, the angel's message. In verse 5, we have this angel standing on the sea and on the land, and he raises his right hand to heaven. Just as you might in a court of law, this mighty angel raises his hand, and he swears. And he swears by him who lives forever and ever. So that's the eternality of God, who created the creation, the creator, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. Now, he covers three realms in what he said there. He covers the heaven, he covers the earth, and he covers the sea. And it's a reminder there as this angel is speaking that God is in full control. While everything on the earth seems out of control, it's actually under his control. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And this angel says, listen, I swear by him who lives forever and ever, who's the creator of all things. What I'm about to say is so. What I'm about to say is true. This mighty angel invokes the divine witness. He promises that what he's going to say is true. Now, notice what he says in verses six and seven. At the end of verse six, he says this, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the what? The seventh angel, that's the seventh trumpet. In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, when he's about to blow the trumpet, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. In other words, the end is coming when the seventh Trumpet is sounded. The mystery of God would be finished. John MacArthur said the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Heralds the imminent return and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will usher in that long anticipated day. The seventh trumpet will release the seven rapid fire bold judgments that immediately precede Christ's return to earth. Remember, I told you in the seventh seal were the seven uh, trumpets and in the seventh trumpet, the seven bowls, these judgments. The scholar Robert Mount said something even scarier than that. He said concerning this sounding of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God and the finishing of the uh, wait. He said, now nothing stands in the way of the final dramatic period of human history. Listen, from this point on, God will not intervene to give man further opportunity to repent. That's scary, beloved, because up to this point they, they could repent. But with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, those bold judgments, the rapidity of it all. Mount said they'll not have a chance to repent. I guess we could say when the seventh trumpet is sounding, the end is really here. There's no more delay. There's no more waiting. God is done waiting. His spirit shall not always strive with men forever. There is a limit. Our God is long suffering and our God is gracious. But there's going to come a day where he says, OK, enough, enough. And the end will come. 
He says there that the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, in other words, God's going to accomplish his will. God's going to do what he said he was going to do. What is mystery there? Well, the scholars tell us that in the Greek, the term means to shut or to close. And in the New Testament, a mystery is a truth that's been revealed or concealed before, but it's now been revealed or opened up by Christ and the prophets. So it's something that was concealed, but now it's revealed. Something that was closed, but now it's open. And he said, "Here, here the mystery is the final consummation of all things. As God destroys sinners and establishes his righteous kingdom on earth. In other words, the end, the end is really coming. God is going to fulfill his word. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. There'll be delay no longer. And in fact, if you look across the page at chapter 11, verse 15, when the seventh trumpet sound, notice what it says in Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded. 11.15, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world had become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign how long? Forever and ever. In other words, beloved, this evil, wicked, worldly kingdom that we see today will not stand forever. He will establish his kingdom. And we're seeing that play out here in this book. And the first thing we need to do is to receive the message. To receive what's being said here. How do we respond to all of this? How do we handle all this truth that's coming at us? We receive it. But the second thing we do, this is an important one. We respond to it. We respond to it. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to receive it. We've got to respond to it. And I'm praying that we'll respond to it in the right way. Now, notice how John responds in verses 8 through 10. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, now I want you to picture this in your mind now. John goes to this angel, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Now, I know you might be wondering um, about this little book. We're not told what it is, beloved. We're not told what it contained. Uh, You might be wondering well, when it says to eat the book. Did John really eat the little book? That, that, that term is translated little books. The only time we find it is an unusual Greek word translated here in Revelation chapter 10, a little book. And yes, I believe he did really eat it. He really did eat the little book. Think about some scripture with me. Psalm 119, 103. The Bible says how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I know you can say, well, listen, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're eating the word because we know eat the word means to devour it. We we take it in. We eat it. Yes. But I believe here he literally ate it. We find the same thing in the life of Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel three, one through three. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll. And go speak to the house of Israel. 
Now notice what Ezekiel did in Ezekiel 3 too. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate it and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. I find that interesting talking about the word being honey. And then I come to Revelation 10 and we have this angel and the voice says, listen, John, uh, go get the book. And he says, take it, eat the book. And I believe he ate the book. For some reason, God had John and God had Ezekiel actually eat a scroll. Now, please understand, don't leave yet. Don't go out this afternoon and eat your book of Revelation, okay? (laughs) That'll mess up your Bible. Uh, It's not going to be pleasant. Uh, For a little while, our little Graham was into eating paper. And we used to joke that we had a little billy goat living at the house. Because honestly, he would he would eat it. And uh, I guess it's good fiber. But anyway, that what do we take? We don't eat the book. Literally, we don't eat the book. The application for us is what to eat the book, but not literally. In other words, we devour its contents. We learn it. We take it in and we're eating the truth today. And it's sweet as honey, but it's also bitter. Just as John obeyed and literally ate the little scroll, we're to obey the word that God has given to us. Now, in reality, I'm teaching this in regards to Revelation, but the things that we're studying today, these three points are applicable to all of Scripture. When it comes to the Bible, we're to receive it, first of all, then we're to respond to it. And I'll give you the third one in a moment. But back to our little scroll that John ate. Notice that it was bittersweet. It was sweet and sour. I called this morning's message sweet and sour. I like sweet and sour chicken. Does anybody like that? Sweet and sour. I'm getting hungry. You're getting hungry, but don't eat your book of Revelation, please. But it says it was in his mouth, sweet as honey, but in his stomach, it was bitter. And and I really think that captures what we're experiencing as we study this book together. As believers, this truth of Christ's kingdom and Christ's reign and Satan's demise is sweet. We rejoice in the rapture. We rejoice in the second coming. We rejoice in our God if we know him. But at the same time, it's bitter. We see that there are those I read about earlier that will not repent. We see those who are going to be judged. We see those who are going to go through hell on earth and then hell afterwards. As someone said, and it so startled me this past week, they said the same gospel that sends me to heaven Send someone else to hell. Think about that, beloved. The same gospel that sends me to heaven, that sends you to heaven if you know Jesus. The same gospel sends them to hell. And this is how I felt as I've been studying these great truths. As I've been studying Revelation and spending so much time, I've somewhat swung between delight and depression. Heavy at times and happy at times. My wife can tell you, I come out and say, man, I've been in Revelation. And and, and it's been sweet and it's been bitter. And we're given God given emotions and we don't turn those off when we come to the Bible and we don't turn those off as we study the Bible. And in reality, I, I feel like we've been really feeling our way through the book at times as we see the wonder, wonderful heights of glory. And yet we see the depths of depravity as we see judgment coming. There's a balance, beloved, between the sweet and sour. Have you felt that as we've been studying? 
I think you have as I've been talking with you because you're almost afraid to say, listen, I enjoyed that today because you realize at the same time, judgment came to some, but delight came to you. So we don't turn off our emotions as we come to this book. And just as John, he ate the book and it was sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. As we're eating the truth of this book, it's sweet and it's also bitter. As we feel our way along, as we balance this, which brings us to the third point today. We not only receive it and we not only respond to it, but thirdly, and this is important, we release it to others. We release it. All this truth that we're learning, not only in Revelation, but in all Bible truth, it's not just meant to be hoarded and stored up. We're to release it. We're to let it go. We're to share it. Just as you might release an important uh, news article or press release, we're supposed to be releasing the truth that we're learning. Notice John does, verse 11. And he said to me, you must prophesy again. You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. John, you're not through. You're going to prophesy again. By the way, we're not through. As long as God lends us breath and life, he wants us to tell his story. He wants us to, to share the gospel. But don't forget what we just said. As we're sharing the gospel, as we're sharing the truth, as we're sharing revelation, it is bittersweet. We're to tell the whole truth. We're to tell the bitter parts and the delightful parts. We're to tell the sweet and the sour. We're living in a day, beloved. I don't know if you've noticed it. We're living in a day where so-called preachers just want to give out the sweet parts. They just want to talk about heaven. Just talk about that glory and peace and righteousness. But we've got to give out the, the bitter parts as well to balance it all out. How are people going to get saved if they don't know they're lost? And so we've got to tell the whole story. We've got to talk about the bitter parts. Hell and judgment and sin. Because why should people get saved if they don't realize they're lost? If a person's going to get saved, they've got to realize that they're a sinner. And they're undone. And they're condemned. And they need a Savior. That's the bad part. That you say, listen, but listen. There's a good part. Here's the sweet part. Jesus died for you. Jesus lives for you. If you'll trust him, he'll forgive you. We tell the story. The end is coming. Judgment's coming. But Jesus is taking your place. We tell the sweet and the sour so they have an opportunity to get saved. I'd be dishonest before God, dishonest before you and dishonest with myself if I only told you the sweet parts. I'm just preaching the whole counsel of God. Now, beloved, as I mentioned a moment ago. Those three things are not just applicable to Revelation. They're applicable to all of your Bible. How do you respond to your Bible? How do you what do you do with the truth you're learning? Well, first of all, you receive it. You take it. Secondly, you respond to it. And then thirdly, you release it to others. Now, I say all that to say this. There's coming a day. You may not believe it. But if God keeps us here long enough. And he doesn't rapture us home first. God believes there's going to come a day where we're going to finish the study of Revelation. And then what? Then what? Well, just like we always do, we're going to move to another passage, another book, another series. I've already already planning the summer series. But here's the question. How will you respond to that? So where are you going, preacher? Well, listen to this. I read a story this past week. 
that J. Vernon McGee told. J. Vernon McGee, you may know, you may not know, but very distinctive voice in Christian radio for many years. He taught through the Bible. He took people on a five-year journey from Genesis to Revelation. And J. Vernon McGee told a story I want to share with you in closing this morning. He passed to the Church of the Open Door. It says, years ago after I had recently come to California, I went to see Dr. Gabeline. Dr. Gabeline was a scholar and preacher. Dr. Gabeline, who was visiting here. He said to me, how do you like your church in California? I told him, it's wonderful. I enjoy it, but there's something strange out here. McGee says, I've since learned that this is true everywhere, but I've not detected it before. Here's what he said to Dr. Gabeline. I can teach the book of Revelation in my church and it will fill up on Wednesday nights. But if I teach the epistle to the Romans... I empty the church. J. Bernard McGee says, I never shall forget what Dr. Gabeline said in his broken Prussian accent. Here's what he said, beloved. Brother McGee, you're going to find that a great many of the saints are more interested in Antichrist than they are in Christ. And J. Bernard McGee says, I've discovered that he was accurate. What I'm saying is this, beloved, my prayer is that we'll always be excited about the word of God, whether it's Revelation or Romans or Psalms or Proverbs or even Leviticus. It is God's word. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is authoritative. It is corrective. It is bread and milk and meat for our hungry souls. And my prayer as a church, not only during Revelation, but every time the word is open and the bread is broken here, whether in Sunday school, Wednesday night, children's meetings, teen groups or whenever. My prayer for us, beloved, is that we will first of all receive it as God's word. And then we will appropriately respond to it as the spirit leads us. And finally, we'll not keep it to ourselves. but We'll go out and release it to others that they, too, may hear the truth of the word of God. And now, Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love, as the choir reminded us. We know it's your love that would warn us of these things that we're studying. Lord, I pray if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, they'll come today. I pray for Christians that you'll work in their hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray for these three items we talked about. As we come to your word day in and day out, week in and week out, Lord, may we receive it as your word. Take it in, devour it. And then, Lord, may we respond to it as your spirit guides us. If there's something to repent of, something we need to start doing, stop doing, whatever it is, would you help us to respond to it in an appropriate fashion? Then would you help us to release it to others? Lord, not just some of it, but all of it, not just the sweet part, but the bitter part, because we know your desire in revealing the bitter is that they might have the sweet. And so now, Lord, I pray that you'll bless your people as we sing and close this service in Jesus name. Amen. Our closing hymn.
502. I thought it would be an appropriate one. The altar is open today if you'd like to come pray. But I thought this would be an appropriate hymn to close out the service. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me. That's our prayer when we come to the Bible. Open my eyes, illumine me. Spirit divine, then open my ears, and then finally, open my mouth. Well, it goes right with the message, doesn't it? I didn't realize how it does fit there, doesn't it? Open my ears, my eyes, and then my mouth, and gladly warm warm truth everywhere. Let's stand and sing 502 in closing. Thank you.